for John chapter 15. And I'm going to read the first five verses. You can follow along on the screen. And uh, let me read uh, the words of Jesus from John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. All right, let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, thank you for um, the joy of, of worship this morning, the joy of being here, of, of uh, singing praise to you and of encouraging one another and of praying for one another. And Lord, uh, open up our hearts now as we look into your word and we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of John, and we're going to continue uh, with uh, John chapter 15, uh, entitled Jesus the True Vine. Uh, John 15 contains the last of seven I am statements in, in the Gospel of John. And you remember the, the purpose of John, and it's the one book that uh, the, the purpose is expressly stated at the end of the book. Let me just remind us, John 20 30 and 31, John summarizes the book. Jesus performed many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. So Jesus did uh, eight recorded miracles in the Gospel of John. But John says that's just a, a partial list of the miracles that Jesus did. But then he goes on to say, these are written that you might believe that what Jesus is the, the Son of God, he's the Messiah, and that by believing you might have life through his name. And so we have these eight miracles. We have these seven I am statements. I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. I am the door. I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. John 14, in the upper room, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then uh, the last one that we'll look at this morning is John 15, I am the true vine. So before we get to John 15, just remind ourselves of the context of the setting of John chapter 15. It's um, Thursday. It's, it's Thursday night, and in really in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be on the cross. He gathers with his disciples in there in the upper room, and they observe the Jewish Passover, and Jesus gives new meaning into that Jewish Passover and institutes the Lord's table. It's called, in our culture today, that Thursday, Maundy Thursday. And... Um, I've heard that expression many, many times, but I took the time this week to look up, like, what does the word Monday mean? Monday, Thursday. And so uh, here's, here's what I discovered. That word comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means command. It refers to the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples at the Last Supper. So uh, it's Monday, Thursday. And uh, Jesus then announces some uh, significant truths, some 
uh, really shattering, emotionally shattering truths that one of you is going to betray me and uh, I'm going to leave and you can't follow me and, and Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And as the disciples are processing all that, Jesus speaks some words of comfort. John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He comforts them with the a person, and he comforts them with a, a plan. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back. And I, I promise that I will take you to be with me. And he's trying to comfort the hearts of the disciples. Now, if you look in, in John chapter 14, in the last phrase of the last verse of John chapter 14, um, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. So 13 and 14 happen in the upper room, John chapter 15 and 16 and 17, they're leaving. They've left the upper room. Michael Card in his commentary on the Gospel of John entitles uh, John 15, this section, The Walk. He writes, chapters 15 through 17 contain Jesus' final words to his disciples as they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The chapter begins with the final I am statement, I am the vine. He speculates as Jesus and his disciples are making their way out of the city of Jerusalem, they most likely pass the temple complex. One of its many ornaments was a sculpted vine decorating one of the walls. Perhaps as they walk by that, Jesus, the master teacher, sees that vine sculpted into the wall of the temple and he pauses and he says, I am, I am the true vine. And so these words in John 15 are spoken as they're walking, literally walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, this morning we want to look at four questions from uh, from the Gospel of John and this passage here in John chapter 15. And my hope is that uh, that these questions that we'll look at and study and answer will bring some clarity to uh, to John chapter 15. When I was in um, Cedarville University, I don't remember if it was my junior or senior year, but we had a, a professor that was kind of a, a guest professor. He was just there for a short period of time. He had been a missionary to the Philippines. And uh, he, he taught one of the Bible classes. And uh, uh, so uh, we're, we're taking notes, and some of my buddies were in that class. And, uh, you know, every teacher sometimes has a little bit of... Uh, um, way that they teach and maybe some unique aspects. And uh, so uh, Dr. Durham would explain a passage and then he would say repeatedly after he explained it, clear as mud, huh? <laughs> and he said that many times in, in each of his lectures, so much so that uh, this is a, a, a confession time here. Me and my a couple of the buddies that were in the class, we had something called the CAM account. And the can count was how many times Dr. Durham is going to say clear as mud. So uh, sometimes it was a couple times, sometimes it was six times, and uh, you could tell we were really learning from that class. Huh? Uh, but hopefully this will be uh, clearer than mud. So let's look at these questions. Here's the first one. Does the branch that bears no fruit represent a believer or a non-believer? All right, so we, we need to get a, a, an understanding of what Jesus is talking about. I am the true vine, my gardener is, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
So we need to understand um, who is that referring to. Now it's very clear because Jesus identifies uh, the main characters in, in John 15. He says, I am the true vine. So Jesus is the true vine. My Father, God the Father, is the, the vine dresser, the caretaker of the vineyard. But who are the branches? And what do the branches represent? Now what we need to understand when we study Scripture is that every passage has one meaning of the author. It can have many applications, but there's one true meaning. And so sometimes uh, we get into Bible study groups and everybody, uh, we're looking at a passage and some person will, what this verse means to me, and then someone else will say, well, what this verse means to me, <laughs> and and um, they both can't be true. The author had one meaning in, in purpose. So there's one meaning, many applications. And so how do we get to the meaning? Well, in passages that aren't clear, you have to uh, understand the culture. You have to understand the context. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture because Scripture is never going to contradict itself. So who are the branches? What is, is Does the branch that bears no fruit, what does that represent? Well, two possible meanings. I'm going to give you the first one. It's called the sanctification view, which means both the fruitless branch and the fruitful branch, and we'll see in a little bit, both refer to true believers. So this is a passage about productivity, about sanctification, not necessarily who's saved and who isn't saved. A part of the support for that view is the words in the passage that Jesus says, every branch in me. These branches are already in the vine. And in fact, in verse 5, he, he does identify, I am the vine, he's talking to the disciples, 11 of them, Judas has gone, you are the branches. So one view is that every branch here is a believer and the emphasis is on productivity in our life. It's the emphasis is on sanct- sanctification. Now, in verse 2, where it says, he cuts off every branch in me, some of your translations say, take away every branch. Another possible interpretation of that the Greek, Greek phrase, Greek word, is lifts up. Some translate that, he lifts up every branch. And so, uh, the, the caretakers of the vineyard, the vine dressers, sometimes would lift up branches from the vine that are on the ground so they don't take root and tie them up to the vine so they'll be more productive. And so that's one view that these, this, this passage is talking about all Christians. There's another view, maybe we would call it the justification view. This is the fruitless branch represents one like Judas, who looked like a Christian associated with, with believers, but wasn't truly a believer, who truly had no connection to the vine. And the other branches represent true believers. So, uh, what, which, which one is it? And, and, um, as you look at the commentaries, they're, they're come down on both sides of this, uh, this truth. Um, if I had, if I had to, to say which one, I would go with the first view. I believe that John here is talking about, uh, all believers and that the main theme is, uh, the productivity, 
the fruitfulness of our Christian life. Well, let's look at the second question here. Our second question is this. As believers, we've been appointed to bear fruit. Uh, Jesus is very clear, John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Okay, so so why has God chosen us to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian? He says very clearly, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to be productive in your Christian life. So we ask the question, well, what does fruit look like? What, what is what is the fruit uh, that Jesus is referring to? How can we... Um, Get a little more specific on what Jesus means there. Well, let me make some suggestions about what fruit is. As we look at the New Testament, fruit certainly is our character. Our character. Um, God's goal for us is to be Christ-like. God's goal for us as we journey through the Christian life is that we become more and more like Jesus. But the question, what would Jesus do, should be a frequent question in our mind because we want to have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ, and the actions of Christ. And so we come to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, in, uh, the Holy Spirit indwells us and wants to produce what? Fruit. Here it is. The fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's talking about character development. And so as, as Christians, we should be, be growing in our development of Christ-likeness and our character. But fruit is also our conduct. And our conduct flows out of our character. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. We read these words. Paul prays for this reason since the day we heard about you. We've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, being Fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. So, fruit is not only our character, but our conduct. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we, we, we quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Often, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank God we cannot earn our way to salvation. We cannot work our way to salvation. It's all a gift of God that we need to receive. But then, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. So we're not saved by works, but we are saved to do good works. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what glorify your Father in heaven. 
Let, let your light shine so that people can see what? Your good works. And what? Glorify God in heaven. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 8, uh, Jesus specifically drives that truth home when he's talking about fruitfulness. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So one of the ways that we evidence our our uh, love for Christ and that we're a follower of him is that we um, glorify God through our good works. Well, not only are good works our, our character and our conduct, but good works are converts. Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing to the church at Rome in Romans 1.13 He writes these words, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you. Paul says, I want to visit Rome. And in Romans 1, 14 and through 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation to everyone that believes. I want to have a harvest. I want to see some people come to faith in Christ. And so, fruit is what? Leading people to Jesus. And and sharing the gospel. Sharing the good news. Well, fruit is our character, and fruit is our conduct, and and fruit is is converts, sharing sharing the gospel. But um, fruit, fourthly, is continual praise to God. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 15, the author writes to the the Hebrew believers, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Let's continue what to offer a sacrifice to God. And what is that sacrifice? That is the fruit of our lips, words that praise the name of Jesus. And so... Uh, when we come together to worship, when we when we worship God in our um, individual times of worship, when we speak openly about the name of Jesus, what is that? That's that's an offering of sacrifice. That's fruit. That's praise to God. And so uh, here is this uh, just some some examples of of, of what fruit is uh, in in our lives as believers, and there's there's many others. I want us to think about the fact that someday, the Bible says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's two, two main judgments of, uh, in, in the scripture. One is referred to as the Bema seat judgment. That is for believers. And is an evaluation of our, our lives, our, how we've invested our time, talent, and treasure for Christ. There's a later judgment called the Great White Throne judgment. That's for unbelievers. And everyone that's not found in the, the book of life is ultimately put into the lake of fire. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans, um, I think it's Romans 14, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of, of our lives. And so someday we're going to stand before the Lord. And uh, He's going to be looking for fruit in our life. I, I brought just a Little visual illustration of this, and uh, that this little little branch is not uh, not very uh, attractive. 
but this is this is the kind of branch that Je- that Jesus is talking about in John fifteen two. Um, it's it's basically uh, dead and, and fruitless. And uh, this this would represent, perhaps, as I look at John 15, the life of a believer that uh, maybe has their fire insurance, but um, they've never really um, grown in their faith. They've never really gotten serious about um, producing fruit. Or um, our lives could look like this. And, and, and God's desire is that someday when we stand before him, that we have an offering, a sacrifice, uh, we have some, some fruit um, to show. Dr. Erwin uh, Luther, in his book, The Judgment Seat of Christ, says, uh, um, there will be tears in heaven. He says, I believe there will be tears of regret that, 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 that Christians kind of wasted their life and didn't invest more in God's kingdom and they didn't, weren't fruitful for the Christ, for Christ. Revelation says God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Well, I want us to do well at the judgment seat of Christ, and there's certain rewards for that. I remember years ago, when I was at Grand Rapids Seminary, um, for three years I worked in a little painting business of a friend of mine who was also a seminary student. He was a little bit older than I was, um, and he had been in the ministry for four years, and then... Um, Married with a couple of children, he came back wanted to wanted to get a further degree, and so my friend um, name's Louis Kanapka, and God used Louis in a great way to advance God's kingdom. Um, but he started a painting business, and uh, and I was uh, was kind of his right hand man in this painting business. And uh, I remember one day I was on a job, and he was there, and and. Uh, my job was to take one of these uh, paint sprayers. It was a Wagner paint sprayer. And he was going to go for three or four hours and then come back to the job. He was visiting another job. And my responsibility was to, to paint the, the side of this house with this Wagner paint sprayer and see how much progress I could make. make. And uh, this was before cell phones. And I remember he left. And so um, I, this Wagner paint sprayer was not working well, and I could not get it to work properly where it was an even spray, and it was just kind of spitting the paint out. And so um, that there was really nothing else to do on that job other than do that spraying. And I remember um, I couldn't get it to work, and for about three or four hours, I, I tried and tried and tried, and I remember um, Louie coming back after four hours expecting, like, this whole part of the house to be painted and sprayed and done. He looks at me like, what have you been doing? <laughs> what have you been doing these four hours? And I remember an incredible feeling of really embarrassment and shame. And I'm trying to explain to him, I couldn't get this to work. And he's like, oh, you could have done this and this and this. Well, someday we're going to have to give an account. And God desires fruit in our life. Well, question number three then from John 15 is, what is the key to living a productive, fruitful life? A productive, fruitful life. Isn't it interesting? Jesus' words, the last part of verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, for most, uh, uh, you know, the American spirit, uh, the the self sufficiency spirit that we have as Americans, that kind of rubs us the wrong way. What do you mean, Jesus? I can't do anything. He's talking about things of eternal value. 
Obviously, we can do accomplish things, but Jesus is talking about things that matter for eternity. He says, apart from me, you can't do anything of lasting, spiritual, eternal value. So what is the key to living a productive, fruitful life? Well, you can't help but read um, John 15 without one word jumping out. One word that is there over and over and over again. In fact, from verse 4 to verse 11, is found 11 times. And the word is remain or abide. It's the Greek word meno. It's all through the text. Verse 4, remain in me as I remain in you. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, if you remain in me, it's all through the passage. And so, um, the, the key uh, to uh, abiding, is uh, to fruit bearing rather, is, is remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ. It's found 11 times. And so we ask the question, well, what does it mean to abide in Christ? What does Jesus mean when he says, you have to remain in me, you have to abide in me in order to be, what, fruitful, productive in your Christian life? And so let's just make a couple of suggestions as we look at um, question number four. What does it mean to remain or abide in Christ? Here's some, here's some thoughts. So abiding Christ involves maintaining a consistent Deepening personal relationship with Jesus. To remain in Christ, to abide in Christ, means to maintain a consistent, deepening, personal relationship with Jesus. How do you do that? Well, the key to that is the key to any relationship. The key to relationships, one of the keys to relationships, whether it's with marriage, whether it's... um, in the marketplace, whether it's uh, with the body of Christ, uh, one of the keys is communication. Communication is is the oxygen. Communication is the the fuel to what developing close relationships. You can't have a close relationship with your spouse if you don't communicate. And so, maintaining a consistent, deepening personal relationship means that we spend time with Christ, with Jesus. I like the saying, God speaks to us through his word, and we speak to him through prayer. That's the two-way communication within the Christian life. And a relationship where there's no priority of time spent together, whether there's no authentic communication, that relationship will eventually begin to drift and go by the wayside. And so Jesus to the Apostle John writes a, a letter to the church at Ephesus and he says, i got some good things to say about you, but I also have some, some um, words of admonition. You've left your first love. You, 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 know, you no longer have this, this close, intimate, growing relationship with me. And Jesus says, if you don't repent... Your lampstand's going to be extinguished. And that's what happened to the church at Ephesus. 
within the century after Jesus spoke those words, the church at Ephesus no longer existed. And so, uh, abiding in Jesus means that we have this consistent, um, day-by-day walk and relationship with Jesus. Here's how Charles Swindoll puts it in his book, Intimacy with the Almighty. Wrote it a number of years ago. Here's what he has to say. One of the growing concerns I have entertained is the busyness of so many in the body of Christ. Pastors and parishioners alike have often confided in me, admitting that the tyranny of the urgent is not a theoretical issue, but a very fact, real fact of life. It leaves them feeling strung out, impatient, occasionally resentful, and even worse, empty, or we could say, fruitless. This was the cry of one clergyman who at a pastor's conference whispered to me following the meeting, nobody around me knows this, but I'm operating on fumes. I am lonely, hollow, shadow, shallow, and slave to a schedule that never lets up. And so, Dr. Swindoll writes about four disciplines, the discipline of simplicity, the discipline of silence, the discipline of solitude, just spending time alone with God, the discipline of surrender. Perhaps those disciplines are best summarized in a a hymn that's in our hymn book. Hymn number 441, Take Time to Be Holy, Speak Often with the Lord, Abide in Him always and feed on His Word. Make friends with God's children. Help those who are weak. Forgetting in nothing His blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Much time spent in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like Him you will be. Your friends in your conduct His likeness shall see. Take time to be holy, let him be your guide, and run not before him, whatever betide. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord, and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. Take time to be holy, be calm in your soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control, thus led by the Spirit to fountains of love, you soon will be fitted for service above. Well, abiding in Christ means maintaining that that close walk with God. It involves communication, hearing His Word, and also in fellowship with Him through prayer. Well, secondly, abiding in Christ involves allowing God's truth to influence our minds, words, and deeds. So again, um, abiding in Christ is, is, is crucial to the words of this book. Uh, to God's truth being in us. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me, and what? My words remain in you. My truth remain in you. And so abiding involves uh, filling our hearts and minds with God's truth. With God's word. Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, right, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Fill your minds, fill your hearts with what? With God's truth. Tim LaHaye wrote a book entitled The Battle for the Mind. And that's really the battle that's going on in our lives today. In our culture today, there is a battle for truth. There's a battle for the mind. And we need to fill our minds with God's Word, God's truth. One evening, an old Cherokee Indian told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside of people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One wolf represents evil. Anger, envy, jealousy, regret, and greed, arrogance, false pride, superiority. The other wolf represents good. Love, joy, peace, hope, humility, kindness, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and he asked his grandfather, well, which wolf wins in that battle? And the grandfather said, the one that you feed. The one that you feed. And so, fill your minds, fill our hearts with God's truth. Lastly, as we think about what it means to abide in Christ, it's maintaining a consistent, deepening personal relationship with Jesus and allowing His truth to to fill our, our minds and influence our words and our actions. But thirdly, it's loving others as Christ has loved us. Uh, that, that's clear in, in this uh, passage in John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I've, I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this. And a man lays down his life for his friends. And then he closes this section in verse 17. This is my command. Love one another. And so what's it mean to abide in Christ? Yes, to have that daily personal relationship with Him. To allow His truth fill our hearts and minds and influence our actions. But it's also to love. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love others as you love yourself. Talked about love. 1 Corinthians 13, now abide in faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Chapter 14, verse 1. Therefore, pursue love. And so, uh, as we abide in Christ and His Word abides in us, one of the ways that we do it is remaining in Him and abiding in Him is by loving other people. So just some application questions in, in closing here. Two or three of them. Number one, are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the true vine? And apart from connection to the true vine, there's, there's, no, there's no life. There's no lasting life. There's no eternal life. And so being in the vine means that we've received Jesus as our Savior. And I trust that everyone here has, has done that. If not, that's the first step. 
But secondly, what does your Christian life look like? Does your Christian life look like an old, dried-up branch? Or as you examine your life, do you see some evidence of, of, of those areas of fruit that we looked at? And we just looked at a few of them. There are many, many others. But um, is there fruitfulness in our life? Connected to spending time with Jesus. Connected to spending time in the Word. Connected to spending time in prayer. Connected to loving others. So the Apostle Paul writes, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. The Phillips translation says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into their mold. But be transformed, be changed, become fruitful by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. So John Wesley great Methodist preacher made this statement to Christians. Do all the good that you can. By all the means you can. In all the ways you can. In all the places you can. At all the times you can. To all the people you can. As long as you ever can. He's encouraging us what? To be fruitful. To be productive. And so if we want to have fruit, uh, we need to remain in the vine. We need to maintain that close walk with Jesus. And He will produce His character and His conduct in our life. We'll live a life that continually offers a praise to God. God will use you to bring people to Him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for um, this picture from John 15. Uh, help us, help us to realize that uh, on our own, we can accomplish nothing of eternal value. Lord, forgive us for our self-sufficiency. Help us not to live self-sufficient lives, but God-dependent lives. Lord, help us to 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 know and and be reminded of the absolute necessity of of abiding in You, of maintaining this close relationship with You. Lord, I thank You that the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And perhaps there's uh, some of us here that uh, maybe started out this uh, year 2021 with great uh, ambitions to maintain a a, a time every day, a time in, in your word of study and prayer. And in the busyness of life, we've let that go to the wayside. Lord, would you prompt our hearts to make a new beginning? Would you remind us that apart from spending time with you and in your word, we, we won't develop the Christ-likeness. We won't have the, the conduct that pleases you. We won't be continually offering you sacrifices of praise. So, Lord, help us to make that uh, choice today for a new beginning on this April 25th, 2021. And, Lord, I pray that someday as we stand before you, 
Uh, Lord, we will, we will have uh, a fruitful life that um, you will evaluate. And Lord, may we hear those uh, words someday. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so, Lord, help us to look at our priorities. Help us to arrange our priorities. And Lord, through all this, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. We'll thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.